Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Entrepreneur Product Sourcing and eBiz Show, brought to you by WorldWideBrands.com. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Chris Maltham. And I'm Robin Cowie. Every eBiz owner wants to see more traffic and higher sales, but few know how to get there. One who is qualified to talk about SEO and web conversion is our guest today, Mr. Andy Jenkins, founder of online business forum Stompernet.com. Andy's techniques and practices have helped hundreds and hundreds of online retailers see success in their business. He's a longtime friend of the show, longtime friend of WorldWideBrands.com. Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Robin. I still get goosebumps whenever you introduce me. It, maybe it's the accent. I don't know. <laughs> how are you, hey, Chris, Andy? How you doing? Good, buddy. How are you? I'm really good, man. Thank you. Excellent. Any better, and it would be illegal. Ooh. You <laughs> have right. to make a trip to Atlanta sometime soon, huh? <laughs> it's the hotbed of Internet marketing activity, I tell you. So, Andy, let's talk about content. Content, content is king. There's lots of challenges when creating a web page. You have to make the copy compelling to the user and consumable to search engines. So how can I make the text of my web pages work for both the people reading it and the spiders ranking it? Well, you know, this actually, Robin, if you hear a fuss in the background, it's me putting on my propeller cap and starting <laughs> up my motor. You're really talking about something called keyword density when you talk about how to make your web page compelling to the spider. And so real quick example, if I wanted to rank for the phrase pasta, the old-fashioned way of doing that was to put the word pasta throughout my keywords or throughout my body copy a lot of times. So I might end up with a page that reads something like, if you're looking for pasta, you've come to the right web page. This web page is all about pasta. And if you are seeking new and interesting ways to think about or get pasta, this is the right pasta page for you. Yeah. So you end up with this pasta, really pasta, horrible pasta, pasta, sounding pasta, pasta. creepy web page <laughs> that was designed for the spider first. And that's absolutely not the way you should do it. So, uh, Andy, um, can we take just a step back and explain yeah. to people who may not know what a spider is? Okay. You know what, Chris? Again, the propeller hat is going. I apologize. Let me take that <laughs> off. And let's, let's actually teach people what a spider is. A spider is the agent. It's the little software user agent that a search engine sends out to your web page, and it looks at it, and they call that a crawl. And that's the whole reason for the, uh, the terminology spider. And they look at that web page, and the spider says, this web page, I'm going to use my mathematical algorithms, and I'm going to make a determination that the web page is about this. So when spiders were dumb, you could fool them by saying what your web page was about a lot in the copy of the web page, and they would say, well, we're going to draw this conclusion that this web page is about pasta in that cruddy example I just gave. Right. Now, we are in the 21st century, and the... Uh, Internet is a much more competitive place, and it's full of really smart people and really smart consumers. So that kind of web page isn't going to fly anymore. People are actually on the Internet to find out information. So one of the ways, and when I was thinking about what to talk about during this show, I really wanted this to be a, a tip-oriented show. I wanted people to have actionable items that they could take away. So we're going to talk quickly about something called latent semantic indexing. 
And now you can go do a search in Google and find out what that's all about. But basically, what it talks about is how keywords like pasta relate or are related to other keywords. So let me give you an example. Pasta is a form of spaghetti, is a form of elbow macaroni, is a form of fusilli or angel hair or linguine. Pasta has carbs, right? Pasta is usually served with sauce or marinara sauce or, or uh, bolognese sauce, you know, hey, bada bing, uh, you know, <laughs> butter, garlic. All those things are related to the phrase pasta. And interestingly enough, and you may not know this, the search engines know that. So the hot tip here is when you're creating your web page copy, if you're trying to rank for a phrase like pasta, sure, you can sprinkle pasta throughout your copy, but what you really ought to do is you ought to use other related phrases or words to pasta in order to really make it sing with the search engines and be very useful to your customers. It's really vital that we try to service both humans and visitors. And one of the ways to make sure that our content is not stale is to actually write it with the concept that someone's going to actually read it that has a brain. So I think probably we can move on beyond that. But a, a quick little tip, if you need to find out what kind of words are latently related to the words that you have on your page, if you go to Google and you do a search for your keyword, but you put the tilde symbol in front of it. And so the tilde symbol is the symbol that on a standard keyboard is right next to the number one key. If you hit shift and hit that key, it'll put a tilde in front of it. And you were to do a search like tilde sports, you would end up with a bunch of results on the first page of Google that would have all of the latently related words to it. So tilde sports would yield results like golf and basketball and baseball and hockey and all the things that we would easily relate to the word sports. So do that when you're doing your content creation, and that way you can serve both the humans by getting interesting related words in there and also serve the spiders. Sounds terrific. Okay, so once I've got a visitor to my webpage, what kind of design tips can you give me that will help me keep them there longer or do what I want them to do next? Well, you know, we've done a lot of studying on this, a ton of studying. And we actually have a member of the Stompernet faculty who is a cognitive psychology specialist, believe it or not. We've got somebody that is that geeky on board. And one of the things that we know by observing human behavior on a web page, and we're talking about actually using infrared signals bounced off people's eyeballs and to see where they look at on a web page, one of the things that we know is that humans see in a very specific way when they're working on the web. And now this could take years to explain. Let me do it really quick for you. If you know, if you make your hands into a fist, two balls of a fist, right, and you put them together almost like you're simulating looking through a set of binoculars, and then you look at a web page, that's all that your eyes can focus on at one point. In fact, if you were to map it out on a web page, it's about 150 pixels wide by about 75 to 80 pixels tall. It's like this little oval, and that's all that a person can look at at a web page and digest at one time. Now your eye flitters around all over the web page many, many times a second, but one of the takeaways here is that if you want to make sure that your web page is easily consumable by humans, you have to overcome 
one huge, almost insurmountable task. You've got eight seconds. Eight seconds to prove to someone when they arrive at your website that you have the information that they want. And since you can only see in that 150 pixel wide by 75 to 80 pixel tall oval without them actually having to sit and read, you need to design your page to be delivered to the human in chunks that are rectangular like that. So make sure that your headline or your logo, even the headlines within the body text, your icons, your little blocks in your nav bar are only a maximum of 150 pixels wide and 75 pixels tall. It's actually a, a concept called foveal versus peripheral vision in human cognitive psychology. It's really fascinating stuff, and we've got some videos over at the Stomper blog, stomperblog.com for you to take a look at. But that's really the takeaway, is make sure that you're designing to deliver information to humans in small chunks. Sounds like the people who created banner ads may have been talking to a cognitive psychologist as well. Oh, definitely. The only problem that they did with banner ads is they made them too wide. They made them 460 pixels wide is your average size of a banner ad. Really, you need to cut that more than in half in order to deliver a coherent message. Yep. Now, Chris, it's a great question. When it comes to branding, you know, everybody knows what the big double arches are for McDonald's. Everybody knows what, you know, the Coca-Cola logo looks like. You can make those things enormous. But when you're trying to convey a message, a message like 100% money-back guarantee or free shipping, those messages that are not brand-specific need to be delivered in those small chunks. Gotcha. Okay, so Andy... Testing is vital. I mean, once you get these things going, testing is vital. What happens when I find a design or a form of advertising that works? Like, for instance, Google AdWords. How do I and do I continue testing with it? You do, Chris. Here's something I think a lot of people make a mistake with. The term A-B split testing is a pretty common idea out in the world of testing on the Internet. And that basically says that you're going to serve an A version of your creative ad or a B version. And what you end up with there is half of your traffic sees one ad and half of your traffic sees another. And, well, you're paying for that traffic, and that's great, but you might, through the course of testing, arrive at a place where you've got one ad, and it's doing pretty well. And, you know, you don't want to necessarily hurt your business by throwing half of your traffic at another ad that you don't know is going to do all that well. Well, you don't have to A-B split test. In fact... If we want to talk specifically here about Google AdWords, one of the things that you can do in Google AdWords is you can load up two different ads. And so, of course, half your traffic will go to ad number one or the A ad, and half of your traffic will go to ad number two or the B ad. Well, there we are again, losing half of our traffic to an unproven creative advertising technique. And so instead of doing that, make ten ads. Nine of them are your control. Nine of those ads are the same. It's the exact same ad nine times, and ad number 10 is your test ad. And that way, 90% of your traffic is going towards a proven, creative, tested ad, and 10% of your traffic is going towards this new ad. And that way you get the best of both worlds. You get to introduce to 10% of your traffic this new advertising to see how people react to it, but you're still maintaining the cash flow into your business because you're still sending 90% of your traffic to an ad that's proven itself to work. Right, and, and you just work the math and you've got the same answers you would have had the other way. Exactly. And when you're talking about 
click-throughs, especially you know when we're talking about Google AdWords, Chris, there's really only a couple things. There's you know position of the ad, there's impression, there's click-through, there's cost per click, and then there's conversion rate. All of those are only representative of what the traffic does with that ad. They don't necessarily relate back to the other ads, so you can test them in isolation is the point. So of all the elements of a Google AdWord ad then, which have the most impact on the click-through rates and conversions? Well, you know, we've got this really good pie chart based on a whole mess of traffic and a whole mess of conversions. And here's what we found, and this is going to be counterintuitive to some people. 56% of the affect of an ad is depending on the landing page. While you've got 44% of your remaining conversion is based on the actual ad itself, 56% of your conversion is based on what page they end up. And the singular thing you've got to take away from that metric is that it has to do with market-to-message match. That means that your ad needs to be sending specific visitors to very specific pages. It's frankly just it's not enough anymore to throw a bunch of keywords out into the marketplace and when people click on your ad, send them all to your homepage because you think that that ad somehow relates directly to that person's need. It's just not. You should have a landing page, and this is easy to do with paid advertising. You should have a landing page for virtually every keyword that you are going to advertise to or every core keyword. So you don't need all of the derivatives like buy pasta, great pasta, but if you've got a keyword that you're advertising for like pasta and then one is spaghetti and then one is linguine and then one is you know, angel hair, you should send them to very specific landing pages that highlight that particular product not only in your body's copy but also make sure that if someone is searching for linguine, don't send them to a pasta page send them to a linguine page. And then just, you know, as an aside, some other data, about 18% of the overall conversion has to do with the headline of the ad. And that means that you really have to make sure that you are attracting the right visitor to your ad. And that's how you increase conversion. I just got to mention this real quick, Andy. There's so many people out there who find the keywords that are attracting a lot of people and then draw them to a totally disassociated product. Right? Yeah. And all they're doing is spinning their wheels and wasting their money. Well, that's exactly right, Chris. And it's interesting, even more egregious than that is they send them to a place where they try to get a user to buy from them the very first time. And I think, you know, I almost feel embarrassed to bring it up because it's so obvious and it's so well known throughout the universe of marketing is that a customer needs to be exposed to your marketing message seven to 12 times. And I really think the reason why there's, you know, a five-place variable there is that we don't even know how many times it takes, but we know that it's more than once. And we think that it's probably at least seven times somebody's got to see your marketing message. And so, you know, we go out and we get these broad keywords and we bid lots of money on them and we send them to a page, which it might be relevant to that customer. But one of the things we never do is we never try to capture that customer's interest and get them onto a newsletter where we can continue to talk to them and engage them in a dialogue and to try to get them to understand that our solution is in fact relevant for them. And so you see this all the time. You know, people sending thousands of visitors, unqualified visitors to a page where they're trying to get them to get out their wallet 
and they're not offering him any other information or any other action item other than buy now, add to cart, or they leave the page. And so I think if you're in a position where you're sending traffic from a set of search phrases that you're not 100% sure is really making a big difference, do yourself a favor and try to capture that visitor in the form of a newsletter lead or a subscription or get them to opt into your list so that they will know what kind of company you really are because it will give you the opportunity to send them more information over the course of time. Makes a great deal of sense. Sometimes we could talk about duplicate content. Well, yeah, and I think that's sort of a hot topic or a hot button for a lot of search engine optimizers and webmasters that are out there today. And so, by way of explanation, duplicate content is treated harshly by search engines when pages that are so similar that live on a separate domain, it actually causes those pages to go into this sort of purgatory called the supplemental index. And that's bad. That's a bad thing because once a page is in the supplemental index, Robin, none of the value of that page is actually manifested in the form of links going to other pages or in its inability to rank. It ranks very poorly. So duplicate content is a really big issue for a lot of people, and it manifests itself usually on, in fact, e-commerce stores. And so, for example, you might have a page that sells a pool queue, and that pool queue is sponsored by a particular football team. Well, on another page, there's the same pool queue, but it's sponsored by a baseball team. Well, the dialogue on each one of those pages, the only thing that might be different is the team that it's sponsored by, right? The weight is the same. The length is the same. The description of the product, yeah. Yeah, the material is the same. And so what happens is the search engines say, hey, you know, this page is so similar. I'm only going to let one live in my vibrant normal index and so the other one goes into this supplemental index and so here's one of the ways that you can determine whether or not you're likely to get into this supplemental index and have this duplicate duplicate content you know on every page of your website there are probably some design elements that are the same like your navigation bar and your header graphic and your footer graphic and maybe you have like even a right hand navigation bar i use that to put my offers like you know money back guarantee in stock you know contact customer service etc cetera, etc cetera. well if you take all of that text and count it up in my case i'll find that i'll have 250 words worth of template right that means 250 words in my footer in my nav bar in my right hand nav and in my header graphic that's the same on every single page in order for me to create a page that is not going to get put into the supplemental index and be counted as duplicate content, one of the things that I shoot for is to create at least 251 words of original content that's different from my other pages. You follow what I'm saying? So in that center area, and it doesn't matter where it is, the point is, in the area where I'm describing my product, I strive to have at least more original content than actually exists in the template, the permanent layout of all my pages. And that's absolutely something that's critical, especially if you're selling a lot of similar products. You really need to spend some time, and believe me, nobody knows this more than I do. It's hard sometimes to write really interesting and witty descriptions about a pool queue, 
I mean, it's straight, <laughs> it's long, it's slippery, it hits the ball, and it's got a logo on it. I mean, what else can you say? Well, a quick tip here is manifest your copy as some form of ownership experience. You need to tell them what it's like to hold this pool cue in your hand, how it's going to improve their game, how long it's going to last, how wonderful it is to be a supporter of X sports team. And, and those are one of the ways that you can avoid not only engage your customers in terms of talking to them about benefits, but also avoid getting trapped into this mire of the supplemental index. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. We got one minute left here. Yeah, thirty um, seconds. We were going to go into structure and layout of navigation, but we can do that another time, Andy. I'm yeah. Just a phone call away. Twenty seconds worth of another tip that you can throw on us. Well, I'll tell you what. One of the things I want people to go out and take a look at: do a search in Google today for the phrase "no follow," and just a real quick tip: you want to no follow your privacy policy, your contact us page, and your terms of service page on your website. And when you understand what no follow means, it'll make perfect sense. Basically, you don't want the spiders to go there because you don't want to pass page rank to those pages. It's a waste. And, and we can come back at a later date, guys, and talk about exactly what that means. But do a search for no follow and no follow contact private policy in terms of service. We're out of here, Andy. Thanks a lot for being here. I'm Chris Malta. And I'm Robin Cowan. Today's Entrepreneur Product Sourcing and eBiz show has been brought to you by WorldwideBrands.com and Entrepreneur.com. Join us again next week for more free eBiz education with the Internet's leading product sourcing expert.